1: right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Brian Irvine. We're at Northwest Wine Company, Highland Estates Tasting Room. April 8th, 2021. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. My
2: pleasure. Yeah. Uh,
1: First question for you and the most important one to get started. Why wine?
2: Well, I've been working in in the food business since I was 14 years old. Um, I've always been uh, hands-on with what I love to do, what I love to learn. Uh, You know, I was at Age six, wake up, cook myself breakfast. Um, you know, always like to just jump in. Um, so I took a lot of different paths in my, in my early years. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in my life, as is, is common with so many people. Um, and after, you know, working at restaurants, doing the kind of the internet.com boom for a couple of years, I realized that I really wanted to be. Uh, on the business side of the food or wine industry, I just didn't know, <coughs> just didn't know, you know, where that was in the industry, um, and you know, I grew up drinking a lot of nice wines, um, you know, in, in Santa Cruz Mountains area in Palo Alto, and um, was was exposed to a lot of great wines, you know, at a pretty young age. Um, and the, I, there was an aha moment for me when a, a good friend of mine that I used to talk with a lot about food and wine with, he was studying at, at Fresno State. And I, I was talking to him one day. I said, hey, you know, what, do you, what are you doing today? He said, oh, I have a, a viticulture final. I said, what do you have to do for the final? And he said, I have to go prune a bunch of vines. <laughs> and and that, was, that for me was the, the aha light bulb moment for sure. Um, at the time, I was working in a wine shop in Berkeley, um, which was invaluable. I mean, I was, you know, uh, tasting, you know, 60, 70, 80 wines a week, really developing my palate and, you know, also developing my knowledge of wines from around the world, you know, and domestically. And it was like, okay, I want to go to school to study winemaking and viticulture. And so, um, yeah, my wife, my wife was about to get her doctorate in psychology so she moved her uh where she was going to to study to fresno and we moved to fresno for four years and yeah i got my degree uh in in ology from fresno state um i chose fresno at the time because they had a bonded winery uh, mm-hmm. with the, uh, davis didn't have that option at that point uh, i was less interested in doing research and more interested in doing the hands-on winemaking side mm-hmm. um, and fresno was a great fit i was there with a a bunch of really other talented and, and fun people uh, that are making wine all over the you know all over the West Coast and um, yeah I feel really really fortunate that I, I had the experience at Fresno. Mm-hmm. Another reason why I why wine is my last name it, uh, it's Irvine right I mean Vine is in my name it it runs through my blood so how can I not be in the wine business with a name like
1: Irvine so. It's true. It's right there. Yeah, it's, it's so, it's so mean, obvious.
2: It didn't dawn on me till long after I had my degree. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, Irvine. That's right.
1: <laughs> you mentioned kind of growing up around wine around food. Tell me about that a little bit more. Uh, Would w- family family was involved in wine or just interested in wine? <clears throat> just interested in wine. Yeah. No, not not
2: involved in wine at all. Um, but yeah, my, my parents did did love wine, especially my dad, and loved wine and. Um, so I was able to, yeah, try some really, nice, some really nice wines from, you know, a lot of California wine, but also wines from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then food, I just, yeah, I started working in food when I was 14, you know, worked in some sort of food service or restaurant for, you know, 10 to 15 years throughout my life um, in, in all aspects, cooking, and, you know, front of the house, back of the house. So mm-hmm. uh, I still love to cook today. It's uh, certainly a passion. It's something that goes hand in hand with wine for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: You mentioned that you were working in a wine shop before you started doing a formal education. Tell me about learning wine for you. You, you, you talk about learning from a tasting perspective. What, what was it that was an interesting to you about wine, and, and what, how did you learn it before Fresno State? Um,
2: that's
1: a really good question. I think
2: uh, just learning about all the different styles of wine, all the different regions, um, how the, you know, the same grape is, can be different from, from you know region to region. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially working in a shop in uh, you know a small kind of sh- shop in Berkeley, we had a wide variety. Um, and the other thing, I did a lot of. Uh, we had like a wine club and a you know monthly wine selection. So I did a lot of writing of you know I had to do research on these on these wines. So we had a, you know 12 wines, and I, I was in charge of maybe doing six of them and reading about you know who they who they were, the winemaker, the owner, um, you know about this wine. And so I, I also did a lot of research on. You know, maybe you know, talk about the history of the family, or you know, are the, they the biodynamic, or mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think more importantly, just my palate. As far as, as far as the winemaking is concerned, now, you know, I just got to taste so many wines from so many regions. Uh, and looking back, I still have my notes when I from when I you know I had a, a you know a binder where I tasted or a folder where I tasted all these wines. Looking back and you know tasting wines that I ended up, that, like, I tasted a Shehalem, you know, three vineyard Pinot Noir, and, you know, certainly not knowing that seven years or eight years later, I'd be working at Shehalem, right? You know, so that was really fun to see that and to see all these wines that I tried from, you know, places that I now, you know, know very well, or, you know, that was kind of fun.
1: Tasting all those wines from all those places and kind of all those styles, did you start to develop an idea of, as you pursued wine, what wines you might like to make or what wines you really enjoyed drinking? Was there a style you were already kind of developing? Um,
2: totally different answers to that. That's a, that's a split question where, so I'd say, uh, I definitely developed what I like to drink, um, really, but which is everything, you know? Uh, I really like, you know, I really like drinking a little bit of everything. I, you know, the one question I like to ask people is if, if I gave you $100, what would you buy? You know, what bottle of wine? And for me, it's probably champagne or, you know, real high end sparkling wine. Um, But I also love, you know, I love everything. Certainly I love, you know, Pinot, Chardonnay, Riesling, Pinot Gris, what we do a lot of here in Oregon. But, you know, I grew up drinking like Ridge Zinfandel. I love really good Zins, Petit, Syrahs, things like that. Um, As far as what I wanted to make, I say that was, I more discovered that when I was, at Fresno State, mm-hmm. studying
0: mm-hmm.
2: Um, that I really wanted to do cool climate Fresno State certainly with the wines we there made there were not cool climate <laughs> at all you know in the middle, in the middle of, the, of the Central Valley of California, could um, be we, we made you know, ten, ten odd thousand cases um, you know under the Fresno State Winery label, um, but it was certainly not cool climate, so I knew I wanted to do cool climate, um, so when I finish up school. Yeah, my wife and I were looking where where did we want to live, and there were not really that many. We were looking at Santa Cruz Mountains, where you know this is a beautiful region and high elevation, um, you know, cool climate for California, but there's not there's only about five jobs in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and uh, I did do a harvest there in 2005, um, and then Santa Barbara County. My wife went to UC Santa Barbara, so we looked at Santa Barbara as an option. Um, and then I had gone to the University of Oregon my first time through college, um, before I went to Fresno. And so um, I, I loved my time in Oregon. A lot of friends, you know, were living in Portland and the, the surrounding area. So uh, Willamette Valley was definitely on my radar uh, early, and we took a trip up here and just fell in love with it. And so in 2006, that's when we uh, moved to Oregon
1: will come back to that in a second, but I'm, I'm curious about something you mentioned about working at Fresno State, obviously not, not cool climate, very much not cool climate. Yeah. What was it about your work there that made you excited about cool climate or working with cool climate? Well,
2: not just cool climate, but also um, more uh, sustainable farming. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily organic or biodynamic at that point, but um, not conventional per se. Um, <coughs> you know, the vineyards, I did some, I spent a summer doing research through Fresno State on a bunch of vineyards in the Central Valley, California, people that grew for Gallo and the, and the large growers, um, and the certainly conventional conventional agriculture, and saw just how inert the the soil and the environment was, and and realized that that was not <coughs> not really something that I didn't I know I didn't want to stay there. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so the combination of of Oregon with the cool climate, the varietals which I loved, and and I. I really realized I wanted to make Mm -hmm. Um, and the the respect for the environment that that the state has and also just the smaller uh, family-owned wineries and the smaller industry that it was Mm -hmm. at the time it's certainly grown a lot since I've been here but um, but I love the feel of the small small family Mm -hmm. family family-owned wineries that Oregon was really known for.
1: So one more question before we get to Oregon. Uh, you, I'm curious about, you went to Fresno State with kind of, for kind of a, a few reasons. You wanted to get hands on, you wanted to make wine. Tell me about your experiences there and if, if you got out of it what you kind of expected and, and maybe something you got out of it that you were surprised about.
2: Um, sure, I, I definitely got out of it what I expected, I think. Um, and, and even more so, I, you know, the, the opportunity to, when you're studying at Fresno State was you were required to take, you know, classes A, B, C, and D. You know, one, like one of them being a production class, which you know met, you know, three hours, you know, two days a week. So you were required to be in that class, but um, so you weren't required to just go to the winery and work. Um, I certainly was there to learn, and so I would just show up at eight o'clock in the morning um, and say, "Hey, what can I do?" And you know, let's. And so that was. And there were a handful of us that were active that way and showed up every day, and you know I was working seven days a week in the winery. I had a full time job at a restaurant and wine shop as well. That's um, putting my, put myself through school, mm-hmm. but you know any day during harvest I go to the winery. I go to the winery and, and just see and learn and, and do what I could do. Um, and I'd say probably half of the students did that, and the other half just took the class, and you didn't see them you know around the winery day to day. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for that aspect, I definitely learned the hands-on, the hands-on part of it, you know, learning how to deal with pumps and hoses and equipment and fixing equipment and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, bottling and dealing with barrels and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, they did a really good job at training you for, for the day-to-day stuff, if, if that was what you wanted to do.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned kind of looking at a couple different places and, and settling on Oregon and, and coming back to the Long Valley. Tell me about... Uh, when you made that decision, what was your first step? What, what, did you, what, what did you, where did you look to work and where did you look to kind of settle down when you were here?
2: Yeah, so I um, I knew we wanted to live in the city um, because my wife, uh, was, she had gotten her doctorate in, in clinical psychology. And so we wanted to be in the city for her, opportunity-wise. Um, so I was looking kind of at the north end of the valley. And so we came up uh, in May of 2006, and through a couple of connections, I, you know, a couple of former Fresno grads, um, and just a couple of cold calls, I went to, I met with uh, Thomas Hausman, who was at Ponzi at the time. He's a Fresno grad. And I met with um, Kurt at Beaufrere, even though Stephen Goff, also believe Fresno grad, was there at the time, but I hadn't met him, but I knew Kurt, because I was buying Beaufrere wine for the, the restaurant I worked at in Fresno. And and then I went to Shehalem, just cold call, and met with Mike Ayers, who was a the winemaker there at the time. Uh, so those were the three the three places that I just was basically looking for an internship. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, jobs were hard to come by at that point. Um. And I ended up settling with Shehalem. I just had a great feeling about Shehalem and the place and loved it. And so I, I got an internship. Uh, at Shehalem, and uh, in 2006 and yeah so my wife and I moved here moved here she was uh, people will say i I was crazy at the time I moved here uh, with just an internship and a, uh, a wife who was expecting a child so you know we definitely uh, you know jumped out there and and you know both feet in in the deep end and uh, you know, it was, it was the best decision we ever made though, just, you know, we, we don't regret it for a day, so.
1: That's definitely a big, a big, a big, bold leap, I would yeah. yeah, yeah, I
2: mean, no job and, and a pregnant wife, you know, and just, just moving, you know, moving up here. Um, but I had, you know, I had a lot of friends from college, I had a good support network, and mm-hmm. um, so it was a great decision.
1: Tell me about your initial impressions of Oregon, the wine industry, once you were kind of in it. What what, what did you think about it and how it compared to what you had had known already?
2: Well, it was um, a a couple different things that I I think of. And it was much more, it was much smaller feeling than I anticipated it. Um, It was much more humble than I anticipated it. Um, I would say a big part of that was, well, my, my first impression at at Beaufort and at Shehalem um, were, were both really different. Um, I'll start at Beaufrere because it's, you know, Mike Etzel is such a great guy. Um, you know, I walked in and and Beaufort, when I was selling Beaufrere it was you know this winery by Robert Parker and this, the allure. It was you know, and this is this was you know I was buying it back in, you know, two thousand three and four and five. And was you know one of the first people to have it in Fresno, and it was you know it was a big deal. Like oh wow, you know, to have that wine to sell. So I, I had this envision of of oh, Beaufrere, oh, this you know illustrious place and you know people and you know, and then I go in and mm-hmm. I meet Kurt and you know Mike and meet Mike Etzel for the first time, and it was uh, it was a May day and there was a lot of disease pressure, you know kind of a damp day, and he was freaking out. About you know mildew and and you know stuff in the vineyard and he said uh, am am I allowed to cuss on here? Sure. Uh, he said you know you want to move to Oregon? Why the fuck would you want to do that? Right? You know. <laughs> okay. And that was like my first impression of Beaufrere and and Mike Etzel, which I still love. I mean, he's he's you know such an uh, honest, true individual, and um, I I just thought man that's like my impression of what Beaufrere, or what you know this lauded oregon winery it, you know he's a farmer you know and he loves tractors you know and he loves his vines and, and he loves making wine and growing grapes and um so it was very like okay like i really like this you know it's way it's way cooler way more down to earth than than you know than what i thought because that is this way like you know you know and that was a you know highly lauded winery because you know parker and all that it was uh that was really fun so um, and then at Shahalan when I walked in you know I had an interview to meet with a winemaker and you know Mike's a Kiwi and you know as most Kiwis are super down-to-earth as well you know I walk in and you know for the interview and I'm you know like, oh, I'm nervous but you know mm-hmm. a little nervous and I walk in and he's just got like has a piece of toast with some peanut butter on it and he's chomping on it and go hey how's it going mate you know and it's like and, and there's just like this, this, relaxing, you know. It just had this comfortable, comfortable feel about it. And and I figured like that's the whole way the industry was. It was no pretense. There was no, mm-hmm. uh, you know. People were just here for the love of growing grapes and making wine. And um, so there's just there's you know there was definitely that that culture and that feel, which is just really, it's really nice and easy to be a part of. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So actually that's the two that just really kind of like okay, this is like this is easy. It's, it's down-to-earth and fun and, and Great people and that's certainly a huge part of mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. makes our industry great are the people and mm-hmm. The different personalities. I mean Mike Ayers and Mike Etzel are completely different personalities um, but both you know both great people and you know So that that's a as far as an intro it was an interesting
1: couple <laughs> days. Yeah I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine yeah. Tell me about your experience at Chehalem then, uh, your first first Oregon harvest. What, what do you remember from it?
2: You know, it was it was um, sunny and warm, and you know, just had a ton of fun being my first you know harvest. You know, I did I did three harvests at Fresno State and one at, at Thomas Frogerty in Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, but as far as the first one, like after I graduated. It was great. I mean, it was fun. I had such a, such a blast, um, and it was sunny and warm that vintage. So it was just a pleasure to you know to be working, and the grapes were beautiful. Um, you know, no flaws, no botrytis. Just easy. It was it was so easy to make wine that year. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was really lucky that it was an early year uh, as well. You know, being such a warm year, two thousand six. Um, that we were wrapped up pretty much by the end of october middle of october um which was fortunate because i had my first son was born on november 4th of that year so i was lucky that uh that was an early harvest because other years it would have been right in the middle of harvest <laughs> um so it was a, it was a real smooth easy harvest and then um the cellar master at the time was uh anna campbell
1: mm-hmm.
2: and who was another another just great person from a great family and after harvest, um, I took a little time off with, after my son was born, and I was gonna, they were gonna keep me on to, you know, do some work through November and December. And Anna decided to move on, and so they offered me the position, Seller uh, Master. So um, again, this huge risk and jump that we took, you know, people thought I was crazy, uh, really worked out as, you know, as I got a job offer, you know, on the, you know mid-November-ish, I think, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I landed the full-time gig at Shehalem, uh, working with Harry and Mike. And um, it was, I mean, for me, it was just a perfect first job in mm-hmm. Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, for so many reasons, uh, you know, great old property, beautiful, you know, great estate vineyards that, that, that we owned in Shehalem Mountains and Ribbon Ridge. Um, Harry certainly being such an iconic you know, one of the pioneers of the industry um, and such a thoughtful man and, and winemaker. Um, and then Mike was more the boots on the, ground, boots on the ground winemaker that I really, you know, learned day to day. It was just, you know, just he and I in the cellar. Um, so I learned so much from him um, and Harry. Uh, and then the collaboration was with Stoller as well uh, at that time, you know, got to, got to work with the team there. Uh, and then that free, like, also was um, a first job. Harry knew so many people, um, as did everyone. You know, he, Because he was a pioneer, or one of the pioneers, and um, because he knew so many people, it allowed me to be introduced to so many people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and to really see how, you know, how close the industry was, uh, people-wise, mm-hmm. and how everyone worked together. And, you know, it wasn't a competition; it was a collaboration. You know, uh, so that was yeah, just a, just a great first job for me to get. I think um, in Oregon.
1: Was there anything different about the, the 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 anything you were working on, whether it was in the vineyard or, or in the cellar, that was different in Oregon from California? Anything that you had to kind of relearn, or or that was being done differently? Um, pretty much everything. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean,
2: just totally different varietals. You know. Um, yeah I mean I think I learned you know i mean, going to school learning the learning the back end the, sci- the scientific part of it um, was certainly important um, but yeah I think no I mean really just relearning everything is you know completely different mm-hmm. uh, as far as you know winemaking style and how you handle the grapes um, you know both both reds yeah. and whites um, but then that you know that being said, everyone handles even within Oregon, everyone handles grapes differently, both mm-hmm. reds and whites, especially these days with you know all the experimentation that's going on it's I mean you you can't you can't pigeonhole you know any wine making style in any region at this point, um, because that just doesn't exist anymore. I think you maybe maybe there's some old world regions you know that haven't changed, but even even some old world regions are mm-hmm. changing too, so mm-hmm. um, I mean both you know. Like I said, a lot of my friends that I went to school with are doing some pretty interesting stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, both here in Oregon um, and in California. Mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, but you know, you learn every every learn something new every year. Mm-hmm. Um, twenty twenty, especially.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get to that. Soon. Yeah,
2: no, we, we can skip that twenty twenty.
1: So you got your first, first gig at Shehalem as a cellar master. Uh, what comes next for you? How, how long are you there, and then what's the, what's your next step? So I was there for three years,
2: um, and yeah, it was a gr- it was a great experience. We um, the next vintage, uh, we had a really great harvest team. You know, '16 was such an easy year. You know, we like I said, uh, the grapes were just pristine. The fruit, you know, the fruit was beautiful. The wines were beautiful. Um, on the riper side, but but uh, still really balanced. Um, but that you, the, that you know that off season, if you will, in the winter, you know we were making you know finishing the white wines, but the reds were just leave them in barrel, top them every two weeks, you know monitor you know ML, and then um, you know come summer let's blend them and bottle them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 2017 hit, and that was uh, 2007. Thank you. Yeah, uh, 2007 hit and. Uh, completely different monster you know um a little bit of rain um whereas we didn't you know we didn't touch a barrel in 2006 in 2007 a little bit a little bit of botrytis a little bit of you know reduction in barrel it was we were a lot busier that that off season um so those, th- you know t- those two vintages back to back were a great learning experience that um and I think what makes Oregon great is, is the vintage and vintage variation. Um, you know, I always tell people that people... On a, on a tangent here, like you said, we're allowed to do tangents <laughs> here. People say, oh, you know, uh, was this a good vintage or, you know, was this a better vintage? Um, you know, as, I think as a, someone making wine, I don't like to say it was a good vintage or a bad vintage because I, generally you should be pretty proud of every wine that you put in the bottle. Um, and I, and I feel that way. I, I think there's, you know, there's there's warm vintages and there's cool vintages. There's vintages to drink young. There's vintages to cellar. Uh, and so I don't like to say it was a good a good or bad vintage. Mm-hmm. Um, seven was a more challenging vintage in the cellar and in the vineyard for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, it was a vintage that required the the consumers to have show a little patience and uh, and know that the, the wine came around and that the sevens are you know were drinking beautifully, um, maybe not right away like the, the 2006s were, but uh, you know for my first two years those were really um, just taught me a lot about wow, you know every year is different, um, and that's a huge part of what makes it fun and engaging and you know after however many vintages in Oregon, 15 or 16, whatever it is now for me. Um, it's still every year is still different, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it fun. That's what keeps you coming back. That's why I have not gotten bored, um, mm-hmm. and still love, you know, watching the fruit come in and seeing it and tasting it, and and tasting the wines under the press, and mm-hmm. um, and then tasting finished wines and tasting wines. I still have '06s in my cellar and. You know, for my first year, and, and they're still showing great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's, um, that's a fun part of the, of, of the business, and one that I certainly mm-hmm. you know, certainly love. Um, and then, so I was at them for three years. Um, and in 2009, I um, interviewed for a job uh, at Penarash. Mm-hmm. And so, I moved um, just before harvest in July, I moved to Penarash. Uh, to work with Lynn and Ron mm-hmm. um, and that that was a, a great move at the time um, you know it completely different um, different style of winemaking different focus um, but you know equally as you know equally as outstanding wines you know I, I feel very fortunate I've you know I've been, worked in places that just Made a lot of outstanding wines, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and was a great next step. You know, it was a, a newer winery, and you know, it was only four years old at that point. Mm-hmm. So to work in a in a newer facility with you know more, a little more modern equipment and, and the you know gravity flow layout, um, and the, you know tasting your rent on the beautiful tasting your rent on the property. It was that was a that was a really a great move, and, and I had a, had a really great experience there mm-hmm. as well. I was there for seven years, so it's certainly, yeah, uh, yeah, that's an easy place to make wine, that's for sure. <laughs> and Len and Ron were, were, yeah, amazing to 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 work with and learn from. So a, another another pioneer as well. So mm-hmm. you know, I uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, really
1: lucky. You chose you chose well when you chose places. I would say.
2: You know, I, yeah, it's not, it's not lost on me. You know, <laughs> uh, and I didn't. You know, I didn't. Uh, I'm a pretty loyal guy. You know, I don't. Uh, I've always worked for people for a pretty long time. Um, you know, I, when I was at Chehalem, I, that was the only job I interviewed for. I wasn't, you know, wasn't really looking to leave Chehalem at the time. Um, but a good friend said, hey, you know, Peter Ash was looking for somebody. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you might, I hadn't, I hadn't met Leonard Ron at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met with him and, and yeah, and knew, knew right away it was a good fit and I got the job. So, so yeah, it was a good move.
1: You talked about kind of great wines, different styles. Tell me about what was different uh, going to pinner from Chihale. What was different about the style? What was different about what you needed to do or or to know there? Uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't make
2: uh, as much as much white wine. You know, that was a, a big part of it. you know definitely more mm-hmm. um, a little bit of riesling, a little bit of viognier. Um, so, uh, and then uh, you know heavier focus on on the pinot noir for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a you know, different style of winemaking, um, different palette, you know, I mean, every, every winemaker has their own palette and, and their own style they're trying to create. And so, um, yeah, I would say, you know, uh, yeah, just, I mean, just a different style of wine, different, different style, I mean, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't like to, uh, it's, it's hard to uh, say, you know, this style's better, this style's not. You know, they're, they're just different styles, whether it's, you know, you have more extractive, you know, higher acidity or softer tannins or whatever it is, Um, you know, there's just different profiles. And also the fact we bought a lot of grapes. So Shehalem was a state-grown winery. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had the grapes we we worked with and then Petter being had an estate vineyard but also purchased grapes from from so many other sites. Um, That was part that, now that I think about it, the the biggest difference is, yeah, working with a variety of sites, you know that we didn't you know that we didn't own own the vineyards mm-hmm. um so producing a lot more single vineyard wines mm-hmm. uh pinot noir um a lot more uh smaller fermentations um keeping every every little block separate uh especially from all the different all the different vineyard sites um, mm-hmm. but yeah it was but b- great wines nonetheless for sure mm-hmm.
1: So as you, as you, I'm curious about, before we move on from there, you, you talked about your first two vintages being very, very different and very, very opposite, and, yeah. and, and kind of introducing you to Oregon and the vintage varietal, or vintage variety. Um, as you look back, do you have a preference for, for type of, for type of uh, vintage you prefer, for type of harvest season you prefer? For a type of harvest, or,
2: or like for the, for the finished wine, you I'm,
1: mean? I'm sort of curious, like, from, as, from, as a winemaker, which, do you prefer an easy season, or do you prefer a challenging season?
2: Oh, I would prefer an easy season. <laughs> I mean, 2007, uh, I was, you know, at 1230 in the morning uh, in the dark, you know, loading empty bins onto a uh, truck that Sterling was driving to haul back to Ridgecrest or Stoller, I don't remember. Um, I'd much rather not do that. <laughs> um, Than, because we you know we had to pick everything right away because mm-hmm. was the rains were coming, uh, I would much rather not do that mm-hmm. and much mother you know rather uh, have uh, have you know seventy sixty five seventy degrees every day during the month of September and early October and be able to pick when you want and mm-hmm. have things flow in at a nice easy pace. Um, now that being said, you know again I. You still want variation, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, moved to Penarash. Two thousand nine was another warm year, pretty pretty straightforward. Not straightforward, but you know, not a lot of, uh, not as many, you know, challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ten and eleven being such cool vintages. Um, and then twelve going back. You know, I, I always say, I always, I always, I don't remember that many dates when we started harvest, but I do know in two thousand eleven we picked our first grapes on October seventeenth. At Penn and Rash, and then the next year we were finished by October 18th. So just stark differences. Um, yeah, and the 11s, um, they're drinking beautifully right now. So again, this goes back to I don't like, you know, not good or bad or, you know, or have preferences, but I like them both, you know. I mean, uh, um, yeah, the 10s and 11s needed a little time to come around, but man, once they did, they were absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah I think some of those cooler vintages can maybe long term um, maybe make some of the best wines that that I've been involved in or you know that I've tasted. Uh, I wasn't here in' 93 for sure, but I know like I had a 93 Shehalem that was you know so fresh and young and, and beautiful, and so I think those, those cooler vintages are really fun to mm-hmm. see how they age and how they progress and, and develop. Um, that, that's a real fun part of, of the experience, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Re-
1: rewarding from patience, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and not like I wanted everything to be super easy, but yeah, I mean, if, you're gonna, if I'm gonna choose rain during harvest with sun, I'll take sun, you know? <laughs> I'm from California, I, I like wearing shorts during harvest, you know, come on, it's uh...
1: So you said you were at Pinterash for, for seven years. Um, talk about your next step. What, 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 when, did, when did you know it was time to take the next step, and what, what were you looking for in the next step?
2: Um, I didn't know when it was time to take the next step. You know, I was really happy there. Um, I, Lynn and I had a great working relationship and a great, you know, great friend, friendly relationship as well. Um, and yeah, I was really content. And um, I wasn't again, I wasn't looking to move per se. Um, and then when the opportunity I got, again, uh, somebody said, "Hey, you know, Highland and Northwest Wine Company is looking for uh, a winemaker." Um, so I said, "The next step. This was more, you know." Um, more opportunity for for growth, um, and not to be in charge per se, but to have more, you know, more say, more more say, you know, day to day. And you know, Northwest Wine Company in Highland being a larger winery, um, you know, being part of a, a larger winemaking team was also in a, um, it was a new challenge. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'd never um, never done anything more than 375 tons. Mm-hmm. And so to go from you know a smaller winery to a, to a much larger winery was a challenge I was, that was ex- I was excited about. Um, and the other thing that, um, why this opportunity um, was intriguing was the vineyard. Um, at Panerache we purchased Highland mm-hmm. Pinot Noir and Riesling. And uh, Riesling is really one of my, Highland Riesling in particular, is maybe one of my most favorite wines that I've made and were, you know, consumed mm-hmm. from, from the Willamette Valley. And so the opportunity to go work for a, you know, to work with that vineyard every day at a, at a you know, in a greater capacity mm-hmm. was one that was really, um, really intrigued me. And then uh, the team that we have is, is incredible. I, I, I knew them all, not, not well, but I knew them all from, you know, different, different avenues and different channels and, and knew, they were, knew they were all great people. And so again, interviewed and, and uh, came on board um, January of 2016. And yeah, it was a great move. I mean, completely different, um, you know, scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time it was, a, it was a perfect next step again, I think just a great challenge, you know, for only making, you know, Pinot Noir and. You know, in the forty-five plus category, mm-hmm. um, to making <coughs> that wine, but also making a lot of Pinot Noir at the you know the fifteen to twenty dollar category. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't say this, but someone said oh, I'm tired of making wine for rich people, right? You know, so you know. <laughs> um, and I'm not tired of making wine for rich people, but it's it's fun to make wine for um, for for everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's I think. Um, you know, we take a lot of pride in, in making the best Willamette Valley Pinot we can that, that might retail for 14 to $15 and making it really representative of the state and approachable and, and you know, making great wine at that price is really, um, it's, a, it's a challenge and it's a lot of fun.
1: Tell me about the, the role you were hired here for and, and how it's changed if it has and, and kind of how you, how you grew into it, what, what you needed to do to, to kind of take that next step, to kind of take that expanded, expanded role.
2: Yeah. Um, so at the time, um, Bruno Corneau was, um, had moved into managing all of our vineyards. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, he was kind of Laurent as our owner and, you know, and, and head winemaker. Um, and then Anne, Anne Siri and Bruno were the, were the two winemakers um, as well. Then Bruno moved into viticulture, so then I came on as the, the kind of co-winemaker with Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, changing you know the scale going from you know three hundred tons up to you know thirty five hundred tons or so it's a pretty big jump um, and then i started yeah I started January, and Anne was pregnant and had her baby i believe uh, early March so she, then she was you know gone for six weeks, so I had a a short window with her, and then I had a, another sh- decent window where she was out
1: mm-hmm.
2: so um, I, I've, you know, I kind of thrive. I feel like I thrive under pressure. I, I, love, uh, I love the intensity of, of harvest and of all of that. And that was kind of a little mini harvest for me, I feel like, because I was thrown into it and, you know, had a new team that I was, you know, working with on the you know, production side, uh, a much larger team. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know, know me from a hole in the ground. And so that was that was my time without Anne there um, to prove myself, you know, mm-hmm. to them, and also to myself. That hey, you know, I mean, I knew I could do it, but it was it was certainly a really good time for me to prove myself on this scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming off the helping finish the 15 vintage was it was a somewhat challenging vintage. Um, it was uh, yeah, it was a great it was a great it was challenging, but it was great because I, I, again, I had to just jump in. And, and do it, and that's, and I, like I said, I, I feel like I tend to thrive when, mm-hmm. um, when I'm up against it, so, mm-hmm. and I certainly was at that, at that point, so. <laughs> and that being said, I had a great, you know, with Laurent and Bruno, it wasn't like I was completely alone. We, I mean, we've got uh, a great team of experienced winemakers mm-hmm. that, that I work with, and so, certainly wasn't alone in all this. Um, but day-to-day, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a great experience to have that time without Ann. Um, I, you know, she and I worked so closely together and had such a great relationship, but it was certainly, it was a good experience for her not to be here for a little while.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Tell me about that, that scale. Obviously, you mentioned kind of making, you know you working with so much more wine. Tell me about the, the logistics for you of kind of wrapping your head around making wine at that scale. What, 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 what was, what did you need to know, maybe? And, and how did you kind of figure out, find your way? Um, I mean, I'd never worked. I had to know,
2: I mean, equipment. You know, uh, how to deal with there's certain pumps I'd never used before. You know, there were I've never dealt with a tank that size before. Um, so just you know, learning learning the logistics of the equipment and that kind of stuff, um, and then also again another a slightly new different winemaking style. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I mean, I at that point I. You know, I had ten vintages under my belt, so it wasn't i wasn't anything I couldn't. You know, I didn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they hired me knowing, you know, that 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 I could, you know, it, it wouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just the, um, yeah, just just a lot of a lot of new stuff. But um, I think once harvested, that was a that was certainly a bigger. Um, yeah learning new equipment and you know dealing with a lot more um, fruit that had been you know harvested in the field mm-hmm. um, things like that um, yeah i mean lots of lots of you know bigger pumps, bigger tanks, bigger presses um, but that being said it's all the same basic principle, so it's nothing you know uh, it did, it wasn't that different you mm-hmm. know uh, just at a bigger scale so mm-hmm.
1: And obviously the facility is known, not, not just for making a lot of wine for itself, but making a lot of wine for others as well. So I'm curious what your role is with the Custom Crush part of Northwest Wine.
2: Yeah, I mean, we make, so we, we do, and, and our Custom Crush clients have, you know, they come and go. That's that, when Laurent started. It was a sort of a, a, an incubator for small wineries. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, some have some have come and we brought in some other ones. Um, so, and we work as a team on everything. So. We're not split up as far as like white winemaker, red winemaker, mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. We, we we taste and we do everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain day-to-day roles that we you know settle in on in the winery. Um, but um, on the cu- custom crush side, I think that's that's really been fun because there's we have a variety. We have some custom crush clients that have winemakers, mm-hmm. and so we you know they're really driving the style and. Mm-hmm you know, the day-to-day, what we're doing with the wine. Um, and so it's been fun to learn from, from some really talented winemakers on that side of things. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the Custom Crush clients who um, just own the vineyard and, you know, are not involved in the winemaking at all. And so, um, you know, they they rely on us to, you know, as far as the style of the day-to-day winemaking, mm-hmm. uh, just make the best wine we can for them, you know, representative if, if it's for their site or for other grapes that they're buying, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's been, that's been a fun part that I hadn't really dealt with before. Um, and one that I really, yeah, I really like, which is, you know, again, going back to the collaborative part of it, it's working with other winemakers and seeing some other techniques that, that I've not tried or we've not tried. Um, and, um, and also, there, there's a real fine line there too when, you know, th- we're helping them make the wine and we disagree. You know, I don't, I don't we think, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Or, um, and I've, I've really enjoyed that part of the relationship with these other winemakers is, um, and, and not just with that, but also, you know, uh, over the years with, you know, with Lynn and with Harry and with Mike and with Laurent and Bruno is, um, is disagreeing, you know, as we're tasting um, and then coming to a consensus, you know, um, that's part of the learning aspect, you know, that, that I, I, really, I really enjoy and, um, you know, and again, makes every year really fun. So, mm-hmm.
1: so that, that raises an interesting point. Then, if you have, you already have your your winemaking team here, and you're bringing in outside winemakers, and you're dealing with kind of all of these different lots, all of these different fermentations. I'm I'm curious about. A, about coming to a consensus and coming to agreement on these kind of things, but also B, how do you differentiate all the wines you're making so they're not all the same wine? Like what, what do you, how, how do you focus on all the different clients you have, all the different kinds of wine you're making and keep them all unique? Well, I think primarily because they're all from different
2: sites, you know, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I say, our, you know, the stuff we are doing for, you know, clients who don't have their own winemaker, I'd say, you know, I mean there's some that we might want to do it knowing that, okay, this their clientele is more like this. So maybe we might, you know, if it's for a Chardonnay, for instance, maybe we might want to have, you know, a slightly rounder, you know, not as high, you know, not as racy style of Chardonnay, for instance, right? Maybe a little more oak or um, or we you know this one, their clients more like this. So maybe we want to have more. Of that racy chablis style, mm-hmm. um, and but I mean I think mainly it goes back to the site, it goes back to the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for us, you know, Highland being our flagship site, you know, it's 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 an amazing site. You know, we're just trying to to showcase it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so it's not. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the winemaking style is really about about the vineyard. It, it that's where it starts. Um, and that's another real fun part of our company is that we own a lot of our own land. Um, I don't know our total acreage right now, but it's, it's pretty substantial. And so we have a lot of control. And um, yeah, we, we have a lot of consistency with the fruit that we're bringing in every year. So um, yeah, it's respecting the site, respecting the fruit and that, and that for, for, all those, for all those people, you know, um, those, those small, small growers, I, w- I would say uh you know their sites are all unique they're you know from peach mountain to you know Shahela mountains to you know dundee hills wherever they are um, it's uh yeah each site's very unique so just kind of taking mm-hmm. good care of the grapes mm-hmm.
1: so let's talk a little bit about about 2020 since we've, we've come to that point in the story here so okay. obviously two, ma- two major challenges going on in 2020 so let's start with the, the pandemic and Tell me about last spring and, and, and when, when, the, when COVID hits and, and things are going to shut down, what's the effect on you and what's the effect on, on your work here?
2: Uh, personally, um, yeah, it was uh, challenging in that I've got two, two kids, um, 14 and six, and so them being taken out of school, um, you know, my wife also working full-time and Therefore, we had instantly had no school, no daycare. Uh, so I had to adjust my schedule uh, where I was working kind of half the day and Anne was working half the day. Mm-hmm. Um, we also were trying to limit the number of people in the winery, um, especially in you know, tasting where we're you know, in intimate quarters. Um, so we had to, it was challenging that we had Ann and I taste together every day, almost every day. And so we had to, you know, I got in early and then we would overlap for an hour or two so we could taste and talk about the wines and, and this. And then I would take off and go home and then she would and kind of run the afternoon. And so, um, you know, fortunately, you know, Laurent was, was cool with that, you know, um, because the other thing two people were still drinking wine. So mm-hmm. we, had to, we had to still keep, uh, keep getting the wine in bottle. Um, you know, we're lucky. We have a large, t- a pretty large team, so we were able to, you know, able to maintain and, and keep doing what we needed to do to get to get the wine made. You can't just walk away and, and abandon, you know, mm-hmm. abandon the wines. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly that was a challenge. Um, you know, and not, yeah, not the most not the most fun thing I've ever had to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, every day I got I was home by 12:30 or 12:45. Uh, so my wife could work in the afternoon uh, and I got a lot of time with my kids in the afternoon. So actually it was a, on that side, it was a plus, you know, I, uh, yeah, my six year old in particular, you know, you know, got a lot, a lot of great time in the mm-hmm. afternoon spending with him, mm-hmm. uh, cruising around the
1: streets of Portland. So, <laughs> so there, there were some positives to all this. Yeah, for sure. For, a, for an operation of this scale, how did you ma- make the rest of it work, outside of you and Anne, or the rest of your team? How were you able to kind of function through the shutdown?
2: Um, you know, we, we are a large winery. But we don't have that many people in the cellar, and our cellar is, is spacious enough that we were able to kind of um, you know, divide people, like, okay, let's, we're gonna you know, make sure that whoever's doing A, where should be are in separate areas of the winery. Mm-hmm. Um and logistically yeah just uh n- the more challenging stuff was the break room the bathrooms mm-hmm. you know lunchtime mm-hmm. uh that that was more sanitizing everything you know like everyone else mm-hmm. um that was the more challenging part was uh making sure that you know okay so there's a sign that says in the kitchen here, no more than three people in the kitchen. And then you walk in and there's six people in the kitchen, right? Okay, so then being the bad guy and saying, and you know, kicking people out and saying, come on, let's, you know,
1: because
2: mm-hmm. we really, you know, early on, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how, how serious it was, mm-hmm. how you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it was, it was not a ton of fun, um, but we're a, we're a pretty tight team and, you know, it, it, it ended up being fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we've not had any major issues with it, with it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just been what you know it's been dating now for a long time so it it feels like uh it feels like normal right you know
1: yeah it does feel like normal yeah yeah uh talk about the other the other part of 2020 obviously harvest 2020. um tell me about your kind of recollections of that and how you dealt with the the fires and the smoke um
2: well that was another thing with with the pandemic is um you know being a french owned french owned winery um we like to have international interns. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a huge part of, of um, our, the experience for us during harvest. Mm-hmm. And, and what we want to do as far as reaching out and having students from France, from Chile, from South Korea, from Italy, Switzerland, all over Germany come and work harvest here. Mm-hmm. And so um, I do a lot of the hiring for harvest and yeah, having to have this great harvest team that's ready to come over. And then really April, May, have them all to not be able to come and then scramble to find um, people that could work harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was certainly another challenge. Um, and then that leading up to harvest, um, we ended up having a great team, which, which made it made the harvest you know, a little bit easier. Uh, we had a few people return for, for their third harvest, a couple return for their third harvest. Um, which was great to have some experienced people. Um, and, and then, yeah, then the smoke kit, you know. Uh, so the combination of the two certainly made it, you know, unforgettable. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly one that, uh, you know, it's gonna go down and in for me mm-hmm. um, for, for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're unique. I haven't talked to that many other, I mean, I've talked to a handful of the wineries, we're pretty unique in this year in that we made a lot of wine in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Laurent's been talking about it, we, it's been, you know, public knowledge, mm-hmm. you know I mean, that we've been, what we've been doing, and you know, because we own so much of our own land, mm-hmm. um, we own so you, know, mo- you know, a lot of our own grapes, there was really no choice but to bring everything in. Um, and I, I think it was—it's an incredible decision because we've learned so much. Um, you know, we've learned that you know there's so many people that have dealt with it and said you need to do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. This is what you should do with with these grapes. This is what you should do. You know, with with grapes that are affected by smoke. And you know, we came to the conclusion like, ah, you know, early on we're like that just doesn't make any sense to us. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's. So we did a couple trials and realized like, that's not what we want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. We want to, we, we have some other ideas. Um, and, and also realizing that, yeah, some of what, even some of the smoke-infected grapes um, are not that bad. You know, the finished wine, although it's not finished yet, mm-hmm. is way better than what we thought it was gonna be at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a lot of wineries that chose not to make any wine, not to pick any grapes, or very little. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think they missed out on a little bit of a learning learning opportunity. Um, certainly, wildfires are not going to go away, and it's going to be something we'll, we'll probably deal with again. Hopefully, not anytime soon, um, and hopefully not to that magnitude. But I know we'll, we'll be we'll be prepared. You know, and if you you go back to like. 2007 vintage, um, which was a very challenging year with a lot of rain. Uh, I know the, the best wines were made by experienced winemakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Harry said that, I know mean Lynn said that. It's like, which 07s should you buy? You should buy the 07s from the trusted winemakers, you know, the Ponzi's of the world, the shines of the world, you know. Um, That have been doing it and know and have been around and dealt with a little bit of that. So Mm -hmm. uh for this year, I think, I think, you know, moving forward, we're all gonna be better off. And I think, you know, the next time it happens, we'll be able to, you know, really thrive in that environment Mm -hmm. uh, because we have so much experience. Mm
1: -hmm. You mentioned some sort of new techniques, and without having to be any more technical than you wanna be, I'm I'm curious. You you found you found some things that worked for you. Are they things that are the, were they? Was it a surprise to you that what, what, what did and didn't work?
2: Um, yeah, I, I don't. Since I've never done it before, not, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. You know, I'd uh, say I'm not surprised. I mean, I think there's some things that we thought would work that worked pretty well. Um, we've used uh, milk as a as a finding agent for a smoke, and that's worked really well. Um, so I mean, it's, and it's not. It's not like something that you know, people have used milk before. It's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's slightly, yeah, it's, it's worked better, it, and more than we you know, it's better than we thought it would be, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but not surprised, per se, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Okay. So as you, uh, as you kind of look back on your time in Oregon, is there something that you're particularly proud of, an accomplishment you're particularly proud of for yourself? <laughs> um,
2: You know, I love, I really love the teaching side of it. I love um, having interns um, and having people come, you know, every year. And so, um, yeah, I would say the friendships and the relationships and, um, you know, seeing people that, you know, have come and worked their first harvest and now are, Incredible winemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's certainly one of the most satisfying parts for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, at, after this many years, you know, there's quite a few people that have their own brands now, and you know, either had their first or second harvest. You know, mm-hmm. um, where I was working and with me, and so yeah, I think I mean then and still being friends with them and um, and colleagues, and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Yeah, that's certainly a real rewarding part of the industry Mm -hmm. Um, i do love the the teaching side of it you know and uh yeah it's just a lot of fun you Mm -hmm. know so Mm -hmm. i i love talking about wine drinking wine with other people i'm i'm a very uh I'm, i'm an extrovert for sure and you know the winery the winery industry has a lot of more introverted people who just like to dig in, in the cellar and, you know, hide all winter long amongst the barrels, you know? And, and I'm not one of them. I, I love, you know, uh, talking about wine. I love meeting with people in the wine club and, you know, working weekends and mm-hmm. doing barrel tastings and, you know, geeking out and uh, all that. I mean, I love all, all parts of, of, of the wine industry and, that, and that's a big part of it. So, uh, you know, whether it's yeah, working with interns or, you know, um, mm-hmm. You know, selling wine on the, on the side as well it's, it's all really it's all fun I mean it's a great it's a great it's a great industry to be a part of it's a great way to make a living uh, it's never lost on me that uh, that I get to make wine for a living that's for sure and being the wine guys you know it, it's kind of cool you know and <laughs> you know? i I'm living in Portland as well I you know I consciously have not moved out to, to wine country um, I like having balance in my life mm-hmm. um, I like having you know, wine friends and and wine as a career. Um, But I I also don't want it to define me as an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like living in Portland. I like having people that are in the wine business, but also people that work for the city, you know, or attorneys or, you know, work in software or whatever. I I like having that variety. Uh, and that balance, and, and I, I really feel that where I you know, live in the city, work in the country, uh, I love that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a good part of it, for, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So as you look, look ahead for yourself and, and, and your work here at Northwest Wine, what, what do you see for yourself as you look ahead, and what do you see for the, the company and, the, and the, the many brands here as, as you look ahead?
2: But well, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, as I said earlier, the great thing is every year is so different. Um, so I think you know we're continuing to grow. Um, the industry is continuing to grow. I mean, I think you know, being a Californian who moved up here, um, there you know there's certainly a bad a bad rap that some of us get, you know, uh, And I would say living in Portland now, there's a lot of Californians, but a lot of non-Californians too that have moved to Portland and the Willamette Valley because it's a beautiful place to live, and the people move here for a reason. Um, but I think you know when 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 there's so much interest from outside of Oregon in Oregon and the Willamette Valley, um, and I'm just excited to see the industry continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just yesterday with the you know the Ponzi's mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, when, 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 you know, I left Penarash just before they sold to Jackson Family, mm-hmm. and I think, oh, people say, oh Jackson Family, you know, this big behemoth coming in and buying up, and you know, how many properties they own now, and all this, it's like, well, I think you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as like California's coming and taking over, um, or you can look at it as validation of everything that, that we've been doing, and saying, you know, they see how great it is here, you know the the tremendous um, opportunity that still exists in the state um, for growth mm-hmm. and for great wines, and yeah, I mean, I think the future is really bright for for the Willamette Valley. I think it's going to continue to grow, and I think you know Laurent has built a really really a great company um, that's really set to to thrive and survive. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of it. I you know it's you know, we're gonna continue to grow and and I'm sure we'll have new clients, you know, as as people come up and more stuff planted and you know, mm-hmm. there'll be more opportunity, more people to learn from and you know more wines to make. So it's uh, it, it's only gonna get better. Mm-hmm. So.
1: You mentioned something earlier when you when you first came up, one of your first impressions, one of the things you were excited about in Oregon was kind of lack of pretense and kind of the, the kind of humility of Oregon. You've been here now 15 or so years. Uh, is that still true? Is, is Oregon still a similar industry to what you came into?
2: I, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you look at the the collaborative stuff that we do together. Um, you know, whether it's just you know the day to day going to visit friends and go taste through their cellars and see what they're doing and and you know and vice versa um, to. You know, things like Salud, mm-hmm. um, which I've been fortunate to, you know, this last year was the first year I've not, you know, been, you know, not poured at a Salud event, you know. Um, it was virtual this year, and so, you know, I, I didn't, and I wasn't involved. Um, like, and that that's the kind of event that I think is gonna, it keeps everyone um, close, mm-hmm. and keeps everyone together, um, as well as IPNC and OPC, um I think all those types of things are really, you know, keep their collaborative aspect, collaborative energy uh, real vibrant. Um, when you have to, you know, for for a Pinot Camp, you know, you're getting these winemakers together and they're putting on these seminars and they're you know they're you know can you know bus counselors and you know and and staying up late at at Lumpies with you know with people from other wineries and you know and, and buyers from around the country, around the globe. Uh, these things—that's that, how you—that's how you stay. Hey, stay close and stay friends. And um, and I love, I love all of that about the industry. I think it's you know, I, I don't see it, uh, I don't see that going away. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little more because it, it is so large now. You know, I don't know everyone. You know, uh, I mean, the first couple of years at the Oregon Wine Symposium, like, you know, you know everybody. You know, now you walk in, oh, you know. Maybe you know a third of the people, half the people, right? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there are so many more people. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the the people that have been, you know, that are still involved, that have that have you know been that worked for the pioneers, I think that spirit is still really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I don't think I don't, I don't hoping yeah I don't think it'll go away. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You mentioned your role as sort of an educator and a, as a, a finder, a bringer of talent to, to the winery. I'm curious uh, if someone were to come to you and, and ask for your sort of words of wisdom on getting into the Oregon wine industry, what would you tell them? What's, what are the keys to, what, what, what are the kind of key words of wisdom there?
2: Man. Um, yeah, I think it depends on where they're coming from. It's, it's a huge thing, you know. Um, I think you know clearly work and just you know work a harvest and see if it's see if it's something that you actually love you know before you before you move here before you commit um, and because it's certainly not for everyone I and mean, we see some people that love it and some people that you know do it and be like ah oh, this is just not for me you know I mean, and and you can tell right away you know so um, and I think you know if 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 you want to take to study. You know, there's there's so many more opportunities now. There's so many more places to 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 study and to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean in Oregon, Chemeketa, Oregon State have both done an amazing job and, you know, have so much opportunity. There's a lot, you know, the research that's being done done in the state now is mm-hmm. is, is great. That's really grown a lot since I've been here. Um, and not just in Oregon. I mean a lot, you know, all the schools in Washington and California mm-hmm. Um, you know all over uh, but I say you just want to come come and, and get your hands dirty and see if you like it because mm-hmm. that's the first thing Because it's you know it's not it's not that glamorous you know day to day you know uh, there are parts of the industry that are very glamorous you know the wine dinners and you know this and that but you know I remember when I went back I think it was my tenth high school I don't know some high school reunion this oh you're a winemaker how glamorous you know and I think the week before you know, I spent two days pressure washing. You know, <laughs> it's like you know, my hand was still shaking, and I was like, "Uh, glamour." You know, like no, it's not glamorous. You know, uh, it's it's agricultural. It's you know, it's it's agricultural based. It's farming, and you know, and 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 you know, food production. That's really what it is. You know, um, and that and yeah. So people get in because they think it's going to be glamorous. You know, come come and see first before you uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Before you um, commit, you know for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. All right, that's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here today that we should have covered?
2: Uh, Man, I can't. I can't think. I can't think of anything in particular. Uh, Yeah, I think we covered quite a bit. Mm
1: -hmm. Perfect. Uh,
2: Yeah, great.
1: Thank you so much for your time, for your hospitality, this beautiful space here, and that we appreciate your stories.
2: No, it's. I tell you, it's been really fun. When I uh, was looking through all of the all of the people that you've uh, interviewed, I've, I've only been in, on this side a few times, but uh, so just such a wide variety of people, and then going say, like, oh, my, like Corey Schuster, oh, because you know I first met him at Penarash in the tasting room, you know, and uh, and Rachel Rose, like oh she worked Harvest, you know, uh, my first vintage of Penarash, right? You know, it's like all these people that uh, you know that have yeah that I've known, and and it's it, it's a it's a great list of of uh, people to. Uh, to look through, uh, and I've only watched parts, bits and pieces of, of uh, there's, I mean, you can get lost in a vortex real quick if you sat on at the scale that you guys are doing, so I, I commend you, I think it's great, and uh, yeah, someday people are gonna look back, oh my god, look at all these, you know, look at all
1: these people, it's pretty amazing, so. Awesome. Thank you very much, I appreciate that. It's, yeah. it's been a ton of fun for us as well, of course. Yeah, so I'm sure. Appreciate adding your, adding your name to the list. Eh? Yeah, no,
2: I'm, I'm honored, I'm truly honored, so.
1: Thank you, we'll let you off the hook.
0: The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.